Hey, welcome to a mini episode of the 2603 podcast. I haven't done an episode in so long that I forgot what the podcast was called. Sorry. It's a mini episode, though, because Daniel is a busy man. So it's just me today. Um, the episode, I don't I don't I think mainly what I want to do with this episode is just go. I mean, it's the end of the year, so we have like top 10 lists. I don't want to do all of my top 10 lists, but I definitely want to do my top 10 movies of 2019 because I saw a lot of good ones. I think this was one of the better years for movies this year, 2019. Like there was a there was a stretch where I saw like five super good movies in a row. Uh, spoilers: The Avengers is not on that list. It's a good movie, and it's probably one of the better Avengers movies, but still couldn't crack top ten. Um, yeah, Daniel's a busy guy, so I mean. I think we decided that we were going to do one next week, so... But you know how that goes. I always say we're going to do one, and then we don't do one, so... Don't bank on it. We're going to try, though. He's busy. Uh, but I will be in Arizona in December. December 16th. I'll be there for the holidays. And, um... Probably all the way up through about mid-January... And we're going to try to get a bunch of podcasts in there. We'll probably have, we have a lot of, well, not a lot. We have enough microphones. So we'll probably get some guests on there. I'm pretty sure Sam will be on there. I can almost guarantee Sam is going to be on a podcast. <laughs> um, sorry, I have to drink coffee. Um, some other good news is that, well, what does this mean for you? It means that I'm going to be doing podcasts a lot with the guys in Arizona. And it also means that the quality is going to be much better with a lot less technical difficulties for sure. And I think we, I think the communication is so much better when you're doing a podcast face to face. If you didn't know, which I'm sure you know, we do this podcast um, long distance pretty much, but, uh, I think there's a lot that goes with eye contact and knowing when to, um, get your inputs in instead of constantly interrupting each other. It's like the biggest thing. It's the most annoying thing. Like, I, I don't know. I'll constantly interrupt Daniel just cause I don't know when he's done talking. And then, uh, yeah, it's really annoying. So, I think, I think it'll be a good thing. Uh, there's plans for a permanent move to Arizona also for myself around March. What does that mean? That means, well, on top of more podcasts with Daniel, um, Sam and I were also trying to kick off another podcast around March time frame. That should be fun too. Sam's just, Sam is so funny. Like he laughs at everything. You know, he's like your, he's like your own personal laugh track, which I think everyone in life needs. 
<laughs> you know, get get a personal up your own personal laugh track with uh also having your own very own personal theme song. Perfect life. But he does laugh at everything. He also has really good inputs. He likes playing the uh he does a lot of like side inputs too. You know what I mean? I mean like Dan and I are Dan and I love to be the uh center of attention in the podcast. And I think that works really well. But I think um if we did like a Josh, Dan and Sam podcast, Sam's just so good at um throwing these little inputs in there to uh push the conversation forward instead of it being uh Daniel has a story to tell and then Josh has a story to tell. But like Sam will throw a little tidbit in there that'll carry the conversation. I don't know, it's really good. So well uh Yeah, it should be fun. We'll see. I keep saying all these things and none of it ever happens. Except we did say that we were gonna do the uh that one like side podcast that we were doing. It's still called twenty six oh three, but it was like I forgot what we called it. With where we watch like old seventies, sixties, eighties pornos and we did that one episode. It was, it's probably I don't know how you guys felt about it, but it's definitely my one of my favorite episodes for sure. Um we did do that. Even though we only did one, we still did it, so that's cool. That's good right we delivered on that pro- i delivered on we delivered on that promise um so yeah that there there's that all that you know so anyways with like i said years winding down the decades winding down everyone's doing I'm totally skipping on the top 2019 insert whatever here and just moving on to like top whatever of the decade that's so hard to do you know i was trying to confi- uh i was trying to put together like a top 20 albums of the decade list and like i would get 20 to 30 40 albums down and then i would start i would start writing about some of them and then i'd be like well this is stupid because i totally forgot about this album oh this came out in 2010 i forgot about this album you know you and they they deserve to be in the top albums of the decade list oh i forgot walk a flock of flame that walk a flock of flame album totally does it not only does it deserve to be on the list Deserves to be in the top 10, I think. You know, but then you find 10 other albums that deserve to be on the top 10. Yeah. It's it's tough. 10 years is a long fucking time. It's a long time. There's that thing going on on Facebook right now. Where people are posting um, pictures of them from 10 years ago to now. And there are a lot of people that look so fucking different. So different. Um, you know. Hair. Hair's different. Facial hair. Especially the, the facial hair is the big one. You know. Facial hair and 
weight loss or gain. Those are huge ones <laughs> that really make people look different. And then there's, a, you know, for people in hour, I say hour because I, I feel like most of the people listening to this podcast are mine and Daniel's friends. Um, our age group, uh, especially because 10 years ago, most of us were 20, 21. I was 21, 10 years ago. Um, and now we're in our fucking thirties. So you could definitely see it in like our faces, like there's wrinkles there, you know, some people have wrinkles. I'm, I have a lot of gray hair now. Some people are losing their hair. That's crazy. But not uncommon. But it's crazy. You know, 2009 doesn't feel like a long time. It doesn't even sound like a long time. We weren't even in high school in 2009. And it feels like a long time. Which is crazy. Because I still feel like high school wasn't too far away. I don't know what that says about me. It says something. (laughs) But... I was looking, I was going through everyone's pictures and some people, there's no like slight changes to people. They either changed a ton within 10 years or they just didn't change at all. For example, myself, I didn't change at all. I mean, I did. I got, the only thing that changed with me is that I gained a shit ton of weight. Wait a minute. No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. In 2009, (laughs) in 2009 it was probably me at my heaviest and then I joined the Navy and then between uh, from like 2010 to 2018 I kept all that I took a shit ton of weight off I kept it off and then 2019 I fucking hit or 2018 I hit my 30s and then it's so hard to take the weight off again so I'm like back from where I started, which sucks. I'm working on it though. You know, I'm trying to not eat meat. That's a, I don't want to get into that because I feel like that's a good episode for me and Sam to get into. It's a big one though. Um, but yeah, people look, people are looking, you know, they they either look the same or they look completely different. It's crazy. And these are people I've known for like... The ones I've known for like 10 years is crazy to see, you know? Like the friends I've made within the past 5 or 6 years, it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Uh, you know, it's whatever. It's not really shocking. Just, you know, because you, you, I, I, I don't know them as long as I know my Arizona friends. So, like, I expect them to look differently 10 years ago. When I see some, like, my Arizona friends posting the 10-year difference, because I've known them for 10 years, you think nothing changes, and it doesn't feel like anything changes, you know? And you look back on them, and it's like, it's kind of crazy. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, 10 years is a long time. And with that, uh, I'm not doing a of the decade list because that's very difficult to do. What I am doing is a top movies of 2019 list. So I'm going to do start from 10, go to 1. 
I'll start with a synopsis. I didn't write a synopsis for the movies because I'm terrible at writing synopsises. Synopsises. Um, plus Rotten Tomatoes does it better. IMDb does it better anyway. You know? Plus that's not what you're here for. You're here for my... Or maybe you're not, but... The main point of it is to get my take on the movies. So I'll start off with the synopsis and then I'll just do a, a very, very brief, quick review how I feel about the movie. Uh, but like I said, 2019 is a super good year for movies. Also, there are about, I know for a fact there are at least three that I feel like could, three movies that I didn't put on here that I didn't put on here because that I feel like should be on here but that's because I haven't seen them yet um I haven't seen peanut butter falcon yet I feel like that could definitely make this list <clears throat> um or honey boy that's two Shia LaBeouf movies by the way that's weird and uh that Ford versus Ferrari movie oh Knives Out. I haven't seen Knives Out yet. That one just came out, so so take that into consideration. Um, but yeah, it's a good year for movies. We'll start with number ten. I've got Fighting with My Family. Uh, Fighting with My Family is a heartwarming comedy based on the incredible true story of WWE superstar Paige. Born into a tight-knit wrestling family, Paige and her brother, Zach, are ecstatic when they get the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity opportunity to try out for WWE. This is a movie directed by uh, Stephen Merchant, I think, uh, which is crazy. I didn't know that until I actually started researching the movie. Stephen Merchant, of course, from the UK office and from the Ricky Gervais show an idiot abroad big fan of him Ricky Gervais and Carl Pilkington's work mostly the podcast and an idiot abroad but uh yeah so he directed this movie Uh, fighting with my family, you know, it's, it's labeled as a comedy and while it did have its funny moments, the movie was more entertaining as a biopic. Uh, did they label this as a comedy because it's about fake wrestling? I don't know. Who knows? Either way, the movie held my attention thoroughly throughout the movie. Uh, the acting performances weren't anything special, uh, nor was the comedy laugh out loud, but story was presented coherently and the pacing was what makes this movie a top 10 for me it's a feel-good inspirational movie uh you know you know what this movie does it does what wrestling does right it makes you feel the same way you feel when the face 
overcomes the heel in WrestleMania, you know? Like they stretch that out they stretch that story out in wrestling, uh, on an on non pay per view showings on like what was it, the CW or the WB, whatever channel SmackDown was on. We'll stretch it out for like months. Just the face and the heel just fucking going at it. And then finally gets a good resolution on uh, WrestleMania. And when the face wins, the face doesn't always win. Sometimes the heel takes it. When the face wins, it's such a good fucking feeling, you know, because the heel is so good at making you hate his guts. Um, so yeah, that's my number 10, number 10, right? Number 10. It's good. Number nine, Booksmart. Uh, the story follows two academic superstars and best friends who, on the eve of their high school graduation, suddenly realize that they should have worked less and played more. Determined never to fall short of their peers, the girls set out on a mission to cram four years of fun into one night also i forgot to say um just a moment here uh fighting with my family starring florence Pugh and uh god imdb sucks just it says first build only. Just like put like the main the main actor, you know, when you look up the cast, don't you want like the main ones first and then everyone else under them? I don't know what order they have it here. Either way, I think it's whoever appears first, which is stupid. Anyway. Yeah, Fighting with My Family starring Florence Pugh, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones, of course. Terminator. Um, the Rock's in it. He makes several appearances. He's not like a main character, though. And he plays himself. Nick Frost, from all those Simon Pegg movies, he's in it. Uh, coincidentally, this is not the first... This is not the only Florence Pugh movie on my list. Which is crazy, because who's Florence Pugh, right? Um, I mean, her acting wasn't bad. It wasn't spectacular. It was good. Um, she has another movie on this list. I'll let you know when we get there. But uh, she just knows how to pick them, I guess. Anyway, uh, Booksmart. This one's directed by Olivia Wilde. Her her debut directorial debut and it's a good one it's a good good debut especially for an actress you know uh i didn't mean that like you know because she's a woman i could have said actor actress the fact that she was acting first and then moved on to directing that's what i meant it's not a male female thing i hate that i have to say that uh, so Olivia Wilde makes her directorial debut here. It's impressive. Honestly, I'm surprised because you know the last time I was surprised by an actor's 
directorial debut was when Chris Rock did Top Ten. I'm going to cut in here just a sec. I made a mistake. The movie is actually called uh, Top Five. So, my bad. Chris Rock's Top Five, which is uh, an incredibly overlooked movie. And you should definitely see it as soon as possible. It's so good. In fact, I'm going to go rewatch it. It's a great movie. It's like, okay, I'm like digressing here. Um, it's like the black Woody Allen, you know, without all that pedophile shit that Woody Allen did. Um, I'm talking about how he directed that movie. It, remind, it reminded me a lot of like a Woody Allen movie. It's really good. Anyway, um, back to Booksmart. At first glance, it's easy to draw comparisons to Superbad. And while Superbad is a hundred times funnier than Booksmart, Booksmart does the best job at reflecting the current youth. You know, since I'm 31 now, I don't, I'm no longer, no longer with, I'm no longer in touch. This sounds weird with the kids, you know, I don't know what's cool anymore, but, uh, it's very real. I know it is, you know, just cause being in the Navy, uh, I work with a wide age range, right? So I work with some thir late 30, 40 year olds, 50 year olds, but I also work with some fucking kids, man. These 18 year olds and, uh, they're def definitely different 18 year olds than when I was 18. For sure. Uh, yeah, so with this movie, no longer are the days of like clicks and labels and stuff like that. Uh, it's great in that it shows that this current generation of teens is more about individualism in that it doesn't matter about fitting into certain groups in high school. But instead, you hang out with who you like because you connect to that person as an individual, not based on their label as a jock or whatever. Uh, Booksmart is about the frustration of overcoming obstacles you created for yourself and finding time to live in the moment. Um, just finding time to have fun. But back to the, com uh, back to the comparisons. You know, where super bad is the film you'd point to to display youth of the 2000, 2000s decade. Like when I was a youth, right? You can easily say super bad is incredibly accurate for us, right? The way they threw parties and the jokes, the gay jokes, you know, when gay jokes were, I don't want to say acceptable, but you know, less shunned upon. I mean, let's all, let's, let's fucking admit it, right? I'm not proud of it, but there's definitely more gay jokes back then, you know? Um, so yeah, we're super bad is that movie for the two thousands. Uh, I'd say people would be, the kids today would be proud to say book smart is, um, that film for the 2010s. Jeez, I keep forgetting to, like, say who's uh, in the movie. Uh, this movie has Caitlin Dever 
and Beanie Feldstein as the two main characters. Um, Lisa Kudrow's in it. Jason Sudeikis is in it. There's a lot of younger, younger actors in it that play, um, you know, the kids in this movie that I feel like we'll definitely see more of uh, in the years to come. Uh, you know who's in it? That Native American dude that did the uh, Samsung commercials where they just trash on, like, the Apple commercials, you know, where they talked about, like, the notch and stuff. He's, like, kind of monotonous, but he's hilarious. He's in it. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the kids in this will definitely, we will definitely see more of. Because the acting wasn't bad, actually. Because it felt real. Shall we move on? Maya Rudolph is in it too. Crazy. Okay, so uh, what's next? The Irishman comes in at number seven. Um, Synopsis. Summary. Uh, This biographical crime thriller follows Frank Sheeran uh, as he recalls his past years working for the Buffalino crime family. Now older, the World War II vet once again reflects on his most prolific hits and in particular considers his involvement with his good friend Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance in 1975. Directed by the one and only legendary Martin Scorsese. Starring a lot of legendary actors. Uh, I got a notification on my phone. Sorry. Uh... Joe Pesci's in it, Robert De Niro's in it, Al Pacino's in it, Ray Romano's in it, the guy that looks like Matt Damon but isn't Matt Damon is in it, (laughs) but is a really good actor still, what's his name, what's that fucking guy's name, Jesse Plemons, (laughs) did I hear that somewhere or someone thought he looks like Matt Damon or like, didn't he do like a joke or something? Or is it just me? He was also in, um, the fuck is that movie called or not movie show Fargo season two. Super good in it. He's a good actor. He just looks like Matt Damon, like a fatter Matt Damon. Um, all right. So listen, don't let these assholes overhype this movie for you because in my opinion, some of the words being thrown around like uh masterpiece are, you know, it's a little much. This is 100% a Scorsese film for Scorsese for uh, Scorsese fanatics, you know, it's good fellas. It's casino. It's got the narrator holding your hand throughout the movie it's the Scorsese formula that just doesn't fail. And to top it all off, it's got, you know, as I mentioned, Joe Pesci, De Niro, Pacino. Uh, so what can go wrong, right? Exactly, nothing. It's a great movie. Nothing goes wrong. Really, kinda. Uh, it, runs, it runs really long. It's approximately 3.5 hours. And to say that it doesn't feel like it would be a blatant lie. You know, around the two hour mark, you'll feel like the movie should be ending soon. And every minute after that is kind of a drag. I mean, I get, I get what Scorsese is trying to do here with 
like the the last act he's trying to like deliver a message he normally doesn't do with his other gangster films and uh and if he could cut the last act out of the movie it would have just it would have been just like his previous gangster films and while some other critics enjoyed it i did not i'm not really a you know a prestigious critic i'm just a guy that likes movies um but i mean i you know i just felt like it didn't it felt unnecessary but all this criticism i have for the final act of this movie is moot as the rest of the movie is perfect it really is it feels right at home with all the scorsese classics i grew to love you know he doesn't miss a step here so so even a flawed scorsese film is a great one and that's number seven the irishman um sorry about that if you're wondering what that fucking howling was in the background that's exactly what it sounds like it's my neighbor's dog and it's the most annoying thing ever they have a i've been so tempted to just call animal protective services but is that a thing animal i know there's child protective services <laughs> they have a fucking husky dude and i live in an apartment complex and it just sits on that fucking tiny balcony like that's it's a tiny balcony like aren't huskies supposed to have a huge yard to run around in i feel so bad for that dog honestly i think that's why it's crying a lot because you know i feel dogs get used to their owners leaving after a while you know so that can't be it and i don't even want to think about like the other shit like not feeding it i feel like this is the lesser of the evils it's still kind of shitty but it's the lesser of the evils of having a a dog that needs a big yard and uh just keeping it on their balcony or fucking whatever their little area small outside area <sighs> i don't know maybe i'll do it anyway that's what that sound was it's that dog crying uh shall we move on number six also i just want to reiterate that uh no we're on number seven i'd like to reiterate that there are no avengers movies on here or the avengers movie is not on this list so uh it was good i just it just i just feel like it didn't belong in the top 10 number seven once upon a time in hollywood directed by quentin oqt quentin tarantino my favorite director of all time uh summary it's a story that takes place in los angeles in 1969 at the height of hippie hollywood two lead characters are rick dalton former star of a western tv series and his longtime stunt double cliff booth both are struggling to make it in a Hollywood they don't recognize anymore. So, this is directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, uh, Margot Robbie's in it, Emile Hirsch is in it, uh, Timothy Oliphant is in it, 
Dakota Fanning, Bruce Dern, Pacino. It's got an all-star cast, as you would expect from a Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, you know, we're going from one favorite actor. Okay, I'm going to cut in again. Obviously, I meant director. Scorsese to another Tarantino. Um, in this movie, he just, he pretty much just dishes out his ode to Hollywood. And at first watch, I sat in the theater not knowing what to think of the movie, honestly. Um, but after subsequent views, it's pretty clear that if you just sit and take in everything Tarantino from the dialogue to the pacing, the humor, and the way he mixes in the music, that it's Tarantino in relax mode. Which isn't a bad thing at all. You know. It's a movie that's less story-centered than Tarantino's more recent projects like like The Hateful Eight, Django, uh, and Glorious Bastards. Um, those were very story-centered. And what I mean by that, like, the opposite of that is uh, it flows more like Pulp Fiction. Except it's a bit more loose and not as good as Pulp Fiction, but Pulp Fiction's like a perfect movie, so that's not bad. It's a more loose Pulp Fiction. Uh, it's a movie where if you just take in the setting and the world that Tarantino is building, even though it, you know it's like semi-true, it's like... I mean, it's, it's real world. It's America and the... Um, Back in the old 60s, 70s, 1969. Um, but there's still Tarantino storytelling, you know? It's still a Tarantino world. Um, if you just take all that in, you're much more likely to enjoy it than if you were to constantly wonder where the story is trying to take you, you know? You can do that with Hateful Eight. You can do that with Django. Because... That's where the main focus is. That's not where the main focus is here in this movie. Um, but once you get that in your head, it's I'd say it's a Tarantino classic. There's really not much more to say about that movie. It's... I said, I, I have spoken. Have you guys seen The Mandalorian yet? So good. Number six. Now are we at number six? Number six. This one. Midsummer. <sighs> Summary: Danny and Christian are young. Uh, they're a young American couple with a relationship on the brink of falling apart. But after a family tragedy keeps them together, a grieving Danny invites herself to join Christian and his friends on a trip to a once-in-a-lifetime midsummer festival in a remote Swedish village. What begins as a carefree summer holiday in a land of eternal sunlight takes a sinister turn when the uh, when the insular villagers invite their guests to partake in festivities that render the pastoral paradise increasingly unnerving and viscerally disturbing. This is an Ari Aster flick. Um, starring, oh, this is the second Florence Pugh movie on the list. Florence Pugh's in this. Right? And she does, in this movie... Which I guess it 
Sorry, there's an ESPN notification. I should silence my phone. But it's not that serious. I'm not a professional podcast, so deal with it. Anyway, uh, I guess it makes sense for Florence Pugh to really shine in this movie rather than... Well, then again, not really, because Fighting With My Family was a biopic. Oh. Uh, her acting is very good in this. She really shines through in this movie. Who else is in it? Uh, Eyebrows is in it. Will Poulter. <laughs> He's in it. And then uh, some other guys that I don't know. Jack Rayner, I guess, plays Christian. Um, okay, so real quick. Think of the top five horror movies of all time, in your opinion. Okay, go. I'll give you a few seconds. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Okay, that was a really long time. I didn't mean to do that. Um, okay, so if you didn't mention The Shining or Hereditary in your top five, your list is probably awful. Okay. Um, but Midsummer and the, here the movie Hereditary director Ari Aster uh, he might just be the greatest director of the horror genre uh, at the end of by the end of his career honestly I believe that um, in midsummer he hits the delete button on the black gray brown and red color palettes usually found in horror movies and turns the brightness and saturation way up it looks like no other horror movie you know, it looks it looks like a feel-good movie with how sunny it is. It's gorgeous. Uh, it's also an absolute mindfuck. <laughs> uh, there are little to no jump scares. The gore is there, but it's not littered with it, you know. There is gore, trust me. You're, And it's noticeable, and it's huge. Like, they don't refrain but it's not like the whole movie's just littered with gore and then they're gonna call it a fucking horror movie um Ari puts the horror movie you know he puts the horror in his movie by making you feel really uneasy that's how he does it he makes you feel uneasy and super uncomfortable like, so much so that it hurts. Um, my favorite my f my favorite horror movie of all time is a movie called Climax. And it's, it's kind of a recent movie, you know. So there's no, uh, there, there might be some recency bias to it, but I don't think it is. Uh, it's a movie called Climax by the DMT taking freak and weirdo Gaspar No, that fucking weirdo director uh, who also did Enter the Void, Irreversible. Uh, in Climax, it was you know it was all about making you feel uneasy. And I don't mean cringy uneasy. I mean like sick to your stomach, like sick to your stomach. Uh, like, I need a break from this uneasy. Uh, 
while Midsummer doesn't quite reach those heights, it comes as close to any other horror movie without being absurd. Cough, Human Centipede. Cough, Serbian film. Um, but it does it in a bright, sunny style that the horror genre doesn't see very often. So with that, I would just go see this movie by yourself rather uh, than with you know, a date or some someone like, you know, taking a girl or guy you like to go see a horror movie is fun, right? But this isn't one of those horror movies. There's a, a very awkward scene in it uh, that when I saw it in theaters made the entire theater feel really awkward. So um, I just go see this movie by yourself. And like I said, it's not. It's, there's no jump scare. I mean, I can't remember if there were any jump scares. I don't, I don't think there is. So like, it's definitely a movie you can watch by yourself and not like, you know, feel too terrified about it. You're just going to feel really shitty and uneasy and uncomfortable. Um, so that is my number six movie. I love that movie. I love how colorful and bright and trippy it was uh while being a horror movie is like an oxymoron of a movie you know i'm sorry i'm drinking by the mic i can't help it uh where the f oh sorry shall we move on top this is the top We're, we've moved on to the top five now can you guess any of the movies that are going to be in my top five? I bet you can. Um, number five is the... Number five is The Farewell. This is where... Uh, well, no. It started with Midsummer, But this is where movies really start to separate from the rest of the crop. Which is hard to say for like... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, who were directed by um, my favorite directors, are really good movies. Um, but, like, you know, that just speaks for these top six movies, how good they are. Uh, number five is The Farewell. So, the film follows a Chinese family who, when they discover their beloved grandmother, has only a short while left to live. Uh, decide to keep her in the dark and schedule an impromptu wedding together before she passes. Billy, feeling like a fish out of the water in her home country, struggles with the family's decision to hide the truth from her grandmother. Grandmother. Yeah, the movie. Uh, well, let's see. Farewell uh, stars Aquafina, who I am in love with. Uh, not sexually not that that means anything i just think she's uh an amazing person you know she's a rapper uh she was in that crazy rich asians movie is it young crate whatever that rich asians movie which i didn't see i think that's where she got her break um she's also a rapper 
like during the Crayshon days, the Crayshon and Little Debbie days of rapping when the girls were rapping, when they were all rapping like, uh, um, oh, with like V Nasty, Crayshon and Little Debbie, those girls. Yeah. But she just released like a little, like an EP, I guess. A few years ago, I think 2017. That doesn't sound like her like when she first started rapping. It's not bad. Uh, but she's in this movie, The Farewell. Uh, yeah. You know, the movie, it really plucks at your heartstrings with all intentions to continue to do so throughout. You know, dealing with such a sad and tough subject, it's easy for a movie to just turn the gloom up on high and like make you try and make you cry all the time. But the the farewell doesn't do that. Uh, the characters feel very real, and the movie just wants you to understand humans, like the different ways of thinking about impending death grief family where home really is there's a lot of emotion in this movie but it it doesn't just slather it on a fucking dueling glove and slap you in the face with it 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 brings it to the forefront to your attention uh to observe and sympathize it's you know it's just done so tactfully well uh, that's not to say, though, that you won't cry by the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Go see it. Um, it is a feel-good movie. It's not, it's not gonna, like, break you down and keep you down, you know? It's really, yeah. Uh, was that number five? So, top four? Number four is a movie I think you can all predict. You all predicted was going to be in the movie. I don't even think it deserves a summary. Because you, you all got the picture. It's Joker. Starring, of course, Walking Phoenix. Uh, De Niro's in it. Zazie Beats is in it. Directed by Todd Phillips of the hangover fame which was kind of weird but it worked out uh, i came into this movie feeling pretty confident that this would be my number one movie of the year and it pretty much lived up to its hype so take that for what it's worth when i praise the remaining top three movies on the list um I guess we can start off with the obvious, right? Joaquin Phoenix. He's amazing in it. And uh, he's one of, you know, he just proves that he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest of our generation. And definitely deserves a mention of greatest of all time. Like in that, I think you could throw him in that conversation and have a good argument. He's been in so many good movies and done very well in all of them well most of them fuck it all of them right the master 
her um that new one that was on Amazon that was pretty much like a more serious take on Taken I forgot what it's called you should go see it though it's on Amazon Prime um the movie does fall uh it does fall off just a tiny bit if he's not in it though I think but that being said it takes it pretty much takes taxi driver the movie taxi driver and it just paints over it with the joker pretty much and i mean that's definitely a recipe for success in my opinion i mean you already have taxi driver which is a classic and it's so good and then you have the joker who just fits in that role really well uh you know the movie basically takes its own quote uh and start quote the worst part of mental illness is that people expect you to behave as if you don't end quote and it just builds a movie around it the joker is a villain let's get that straight but there is a there's this sympathetic feeling you carry with you while you're watching the movie and knowing he's a bad guy and it's because you know the guy's got a uh you, you know he's got a mental illness you know so it's just leaving you to just like sit there and then all you can really do is shake your head during some of the rough scenes, you know? I mean, we get it. I get it. I mean, you're not supposed to glorify this uh, violent incel movement with the mass shootings and stuff like that. But that's, you know, that glorification isn't the message here, you know? The message lies within the mental illness areas of the film. You know, I don't, I, I just feel like some of these shitty critics, like the worst case is, uh, the bloody disgusting review, which is a shame because I love bloody disgusting, but their review was half about the movie and then half about how it's glorifying these, uh, incels that do the mass shootings and shit. Like, we're talking about the movie here, and that's not even the main message of the movie. And the movie's about mental illness. How do you not see that? You know? And I think it's pretty obvious. Anyways, it's well acted. It's well acted. It's filmed beautifully. It's the Joker, baby. Um... Before we get to the top three, because if I'm being honest, I'm pretty I'm pretty hard on the top three being the top three and in the positions they're in. But if someone were to take my top three and shuffle them around in any order, I wouldn't be mad. top three movies are very good and if you took number three and put it on last year's list it would probably be number one like i said 2019 was a super good year so number three is the lighthouse starring robert pattinson and willem dafoe 
That's it. Two actors. Um, basically, it's a synopsis, hypnotic, and hallucinatory tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. That's it. That's all you need to know about it. Right? Uh, totally unrelated to the criticism of this movie. Sorry. The first time I saw it, I was completely wasted. I was in and out of the movie a lot, but even after my first viewing, while I was smashed, I loved it. Firstly, it's beautifully shot. It's filmed in, I'm pretty sure it's a 1 1 aspect ratio, so it's just a box. Like you could put it on Instagram, you know? <laughs> uh, 1 1 aspect ratio, and it's in this dark black and white style of, uh, like kind of like filter uh it's genius that they did that because it doesn't just make the movie look nice but it it really adds to like the dark theme of the film it wouldn't be the same movie without it it's just a great uh directorial choice now the reason i didn't just go off on a tangent though about how walking phoenix would win the oscar for best actor is because it's not clear. It would be any other year, I think. Most years it would be. But he still has to beat Robert Pattinson for the role he did in this movie. It was incredible. And uh, Willem Dafoe, the second actor in this movie, is I'm almost I'm about eighty percent because I I really don't know how. 80% is very confident, you know, for Oscars. I'm about 80% sure he'll win Best Supporting Actor. Ridiculous. The acting is incredible. There's a lot of uh, theatrical dialogue here. It's about 75% of the film, and it's executed to perfection. It's just two actors, one setting, two actors in a lighthouse and uh there's just so much back and forth dialogue that normally it'd feel like uh, it'd feel like for any movie that it would just be dragging you know but the delivery between both the actors is absolute masterclass. i'm pretty confident about calling this movie a masterpiece um, number two, yeah, go see it. Well, you know what? If you want to watch good acting and you're a fan of like art house films, go see it. If you're just a casual movie goer, don't go see it. That doesn't take away from the lighthouse being a masterpiece. You know, I could just see like, if you're a casual movie goer. I don't think you'd like Citizen Kane, you know? Anyway, number two. <laughs> number two is a movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, in which uh, Joe Talbot makes his directorial debut, and what a fucking debut it is. It stars uh, Jimmy Fails as Jimmy Fails. Jonathan Majors is in it, who... Um, 
Uh, you might know him from uh, White Boy Rick, Captain State. Uh, Mike Epps makes some appearances in here. Danny Glover, also in the movie. Uh, so the summary for the movie is Jimmy Fails dreams of reclaiming the Victorian home his grandfather built in the heart of San Francisco. Joined on his quest by his best friend Mont, Jimmy searches for belonging in a rapidly changing city that seems to have left him behind. There is very clear, crystal clear messages and themes in this film. And you shouldn't need anyone to spell it out for you. It, it's about gentrification and it's about the city you've grown to love it's about finding a place in it if you've ever loved a city as much as you love like a pet or a family member this movie will certainly hit close to home whether you're whether that city is uh seattle or la or chicago because it just tells its story in a way that us city lovers can heavily relate. Uh, the film is shot in the way that we all look at our city. With love and care. Even the roughest areas are shown in a somewhat uh, good light. And there are some great shots of San Francisco here. You know, from the hills to the bay. It's shot very well. Really, I can use like, I can use a, a thousand words to describe this movie, but really, it all comes down to this movie being about caring. You know, it's an ode to home. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's all I have for that movie. Which isn't a lot. It's not a lot of words for the number two movie um, on my list, but trust me, it's good. I don't. I just don't, you know, just it sounds, do I really have to say everything that's good about the movie? I guess I have to, right? I'm not, I'm not a professional, like, film critic. I just, I just watch good movies and I have opinions on them. But like, if, sorry. And I say like the acting is good in this, right? Um... I've already said that for like three other movies, but the other three movies are like, that's what they're known for is like the acting, but that's not to say that the acting isn't bad in I mean, isn't good in this. It's incredible. It's just like, that's not the highlight of this film is the city and the way it was shot so much in a way that it earned number two above Joker and the lighthouse. So that's that's it. Let's just get to number one. I don't have to keep justifying my short review. So number one is Parasite. Parasite stars. Well, it's directed by Bong Joon Ho, Korean. He also directed uh, Okja. Okja. Never seen it. It's on Netflix, and I know a lot of people have seen it. Uh, he directed Memories of Murder, uh, Snowpiercer, The Host. He's he's got a good uh, he's got a good resume. Stars uh, Kang Ho Song. 
<laughs> uh, basically, if you watch Korean films, you know who Kang Ho Song is. He's in Memories of Murder. He's in The Host. He's in Snowpiercer also. He's in uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which is so good. Um, sorry, I'm just reading his IMDb page right now. Okay. And a bunch of other Korean actors. Uh, listen. Parasite's a masterpiece. I won't read the synopsis for this movie because the best way to experience it is by going into it blind. And I want everyone to watch this movie. Like, I know, because sometimes I do that when I talk to Sam and he's talking about a video game or something, or with Daniel, or uh, they'll talk about, I was like, oh, this this movie's so good, there's this twist. And I'll be like, just tell tell it to me. I'm not going to watch it. Just tell it to me. I want to know. You know, I don't care. I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm not going to do that with this because I want you to watch it. There's no way. Even if you say that you, uh, you're never going to watch it anyway, I'm still not going to tell you in hopes that you change your mind and watch this movie. It's a Korean movie. But get over it. Um, so yeah. Best experience this by going into it blind. Um, it's really the whole thing with this movie. You don't know where it's taking you. And instead of making you wonder. The movie just hands you a seatbelt. And you just strap yourself in. And you just enjoy the fucking ride. There's no clear genre for the movie either. It's, it's really just a bunch of everything. You know, as the movie starts to progress, you start to put some pieces together and you start to figure things out. And then the director, Bong Joon-ho, he throws you a knuckleball and then you're fucking down for the count. You're really strapped in too. I mean, let's say I had to take a major shit during this movie. I would have rather shit myself than to get up and use the bathroom. It's that intriguing. Like, you can't look away. And you're latching at every fucking subtitle you read. Yeah. There's no dub version. You have to read the subtitles. And uh, you're going to want to read it all. But the subtitles were done really well when I saw it in theaters. Like, um, I've had some subtitles where it's, like, um, where it doesn't translate very well. I don't know how to explain it. But the, the subtitles were, the subtitles are good. <laughs> Get over the fact that you have to read subtitles. I promise you, it only takes a few minutes to get sucked into the movie. And this is a tough review because there's only so much that I can say without giving too much away. You know, listen, this is one of those once in a lifetime movies. It's a genius work of art. So don't miss it. That's it. And honestly, if this was in English, um, it would be like on God tier levels of masterpiece. This, yeah, I'm at a loss for words right now. I don't know. I don't know how to further um, praise the movie. 
I don't know how else I can convince you to watch it. Um, you just need to see it. You've never seen a movie like this before. I guarantee you. It's so different. But it's not like art house. And it, you don't have to like. Try to wrap your head around anything. To try to. Quote unquote. Get it. It's uh, you know. It's just a ride. And then you just strap yourself in. And then you just enjoy it. It's crazy. You know, and you go into it thinking that you know it, you know, you know what's going on. And then all of a sudden things start changing. Pacing starts changing. Mood starts changing. I feel like I'm already saying too much. You get it. I just feel like I have to say more things for it to be my number one movie of 2019. But I won't. I'll just leave it at that. Just take my word for it, okay? So that's it. Um, I don't know. I've just been itching to podcast. Maybe that's why I did this. Originally, I wanted to do a YouTube video. Video. But uh, I do this thing where I think about all the work I have to do to do it properly. Because I don't like... I'm not about that half-assing shit I can't put out a half-ass project it's not in me but I said fuck it I'll just do a podcast I don't have to do much editing I can you know I can just write a quick script that's not half-assing by the way doing something quick you know I'm just saying that it's quick to do a script for top 10 movies with brief reviews also, I think if I did full-blown reviews for every movie, you'd all be burnt out. I feel like I burnt you out by the time I got to number eight, so. <sighs> yeah, I've been itching to do podcasts, and Daniel's too busy. So I just did this mini-episode... <laughs> I'm going to try very hard to get Daniel to do a podcast next week. Next week is Thanksgiving weekend, though. Which sucks. So I actually might be busy. Fuck. I have to drive through LA for uh, Thanksgiving. Because I have family up in Ventura, which is north of LA. And it is... I would rather drive to Arizona twice than to drive to LA once or drive through LA once. It's seriously the worst thing because it's it because without traffic, it's only a three hour drive to Ventura, but because there is traffic. It turns into five, and then if you're like me, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's a five-hour trip now with the traffic. I'm going to go stop and get coffee here. I'm going to get a grab. I'm going to grab a bite to eat off here on Sunset because I like this restaurant that's here. And then it turns into a six-hour event, you know, which is my own fault, but, like, 
like I said, I'd I'd rather do uh, six hours with stops than five hours straight of just sitting in LA traffic. Happy Thanksgiving. So I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say. I'm almost done with my coffee. I need to make more. Um, hopefully I can get a podcast with Daniel soon. So you don't have to listen to me talk about nothing on another mini episode. Um, and then definitely expect some really good episodes, uh, towards late, no, late December, uh, with guests like Sam, uh, maybe get some more of the wall guys in there, uh, and we'll try to pick things back up. We're fucking 30, 30, 31, 32 years old, you know. We don't have all the time in the world anymore. <laughs> so yeah, it's been fun. I hope you watch some of the movies. I hope you watch Parasite for sure. If you watch any, if if you watch any movie that I mentioned, definitely go see Parasite. I can't recommend it enough. Um, but yeah, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Enjoy yourselves. This is, this has been a 2603 episode, mini episode.